Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Impact Agenda podcast, the podcast that aims to redefine and expand the boundaries of a social impact career. I'm Evie, and alongside my co-host Elise, we are so excited you are joining us in our journey of finding purpose in our professions. Today, we are joined by Heidi Patel. Hi, Heidi. We are so excited to welcome you to the Impact Agenda. Thank you for being here today. For background on Heidi, for all of our listeners, Heidi is a managing partner at Rethink Impact based in San Francisco, and she sits on the boards of Icon, OnCue, and Kados, and is a board observer for Engaza and Full Harvest. Prior to this, Heidi was a president of New Island Capital Management, Acumen Fund Global Fellow, Director at Pacific Community Ventures, and she's also worked in investment banking. Heidi teaches and co-created a course on impact investing at the Stanford University Graduate School of Business, and she serves on the investment committee for the Stanford GSB Student Impact Fund. We're so excited to dive into all of that and more. Today, we're going to structure our episode on two main topics. The first is all about impact investing and rethink impact, Heidi's firm. And the second topic we'll focus on is Stanford GSB and beyond. So we're excited to dive into it. Heidi, clearly everyone listening to that introduction so far, you've done so much and have woven impact all throughout these different aspects of your career. Will you please hit on the major milestones of your career? Absolutely. And great to be here. And so thanks to both of you for inviting me. Um, so after Princeton, um, I did what a lot of students do is I went to Wall Street and I spent my you know two or three years doing investment banking, which I actually loved. Uh, I loved the work. Uh, and then had an opportunity to move onto the buy side and help start up the first centralized corporate venture capital group at Time Warner. And that was really my first experience doing investing using dual lenses. So in that case, it was financial returns and strategic returns. And again, loved that job. I was really young. I got to lead some tech investments. I was a board observer for four different startups. But I always felt like there was this bigger calling for me um, to use my business and investing skills for something um, that's pushing the world forward. So I went to business school at Stanford to figure out what that was. The term impact investing hadn't even been coined at that moment. Um, so spent two years there. Absolutely loved my time at Stanford. Happy to talk about how I approached um, the MBA program as we continue on in the conversation. And then joined uh, a really interesting double bottom line private equity firm here in California called Pacific Community Ventures. And I spent four and a half years there. And I just had this insight or aha moment where I felt like a lot of the things that were really interesting that were happening at this intersection of technology, human capital, financial capital, and helping moving people up the economic ladder at that time was actually happening in emerging markets. Mm -hmm. So I decided to kind of drop kick my existence into the universe. And I left San Francisco in my early 30s and I moved to India for a year as part of the Acumen Fund Fellowship Program. And I worked for a venture-backed startup called Delight. And it was hard. It was a really hard year. I learned a ton um, and a ton about myself and the work that I wanted to do. And so I came back from that experience really focused on impact investing and that being my, my true purpose on this planet and wanted to marry rigor, discipline, investing with really positive social and environmental impact. From there, I spent um, five and a half years 
I'm at a firm called New Island Capital, uh, where we were investing a billion and a half dollars for impact and returns. I saw every type of impact deal under the sun. When I was pregnant with my second kiddo, um, I partnered up with my um, colleague from New Island, and we created a course at the Business School at Stanford called Investing for Good that was based on our experience building this big institutional endowment style impact portfolio. So I'm about to go into my ninth year of teaching that course, which has been amazing to see what all of the students have gone on to do with their careers. But my day job, not really more my side hustle now, my day job is at Rethink Impact. And we're an early stage venture firm. We're actually the largest in the country doing what we do, which is investing early stage in early stage companies at the intersection, again, of technology, impact, and gender and racial equity. That's awesome. Thank you so much for sharing. We'd love to dig more into kind of impact investing because obviously it's a cornerstone of your career. So what exactly for our listeners, what exactly does impact investing mean? And we know that, you know, for many different investors, impact can look very differently. ESG, um, the SDG goals. So how does your firm um, specifically look at impact and how do you measure it? Yeah, those are great questions. And I would say, you know, one caveat slash cop out is I, I believe that impact is really in the eye of the beholder. So what is impactful for one investor may not be for another. So you see a lot of those tensions when some people are focused on social impact, closing gender and racial gaps versus this whole new generation of investors that are really focused on um, climate change, mitigation and adaptation. So it's in the eye of the beholder. Typically, when I think about differentiating between ESG and impact, I put ESG in this bucket of good corporate citizenry. So you are doing things, you have policies as a company. So it's how you do your work in the world that is trying to mitigate evil and promote good. So good policies around environment, your supply chain, you're treating your employees well, you have good governance in place. So it's really about good corporate citizenry. Impact, on the other hand, is, is about intention and measurement, as you brought up. So right. it's about how do we use our core product or service? So it's the what, not just the how of what we're doing to push the world forward, to solve these big pressing issues, which I think can be encapsulated in the UN SDGs. Mm -hmm. so there are all different ways to define diligence, measure and assess impact. But really, it's about this intentionality of solving problems. Definitely. Love your clear cut definition of impact investing, Heidi. And I think we definitely get behind that and really appreciate the clarity because I think, you know, we've had many conversations inside and outside of this podcast and it's always, you know, really unclear how intentional and serious are people taking their impact investing. Right. So and clearly you're 100 percent on board with it. And we'd love to hear that. Um, diving into impact investing a little bit further, could you tell us more about what you did uh, in India with the Acumen Fund Global Fellow and then really what experiences there made you so convinced to come back and motivated to dedicate your career to impact investing? Yep. So that was really one of my first experiences working inside of a company. So <laughs> my so the Acumen Fund program is all about how do we bring um, great global talent into early stage organizations that are serving people at the bottom of the pyramid. So they um, brought 10 of us in. It was a competitive program to get in. And then they placed us throughout um, East Africa, Pakistan, India and other places. And so there was a group of you know 10 or 15 of us. So I, you know, I kind of parachuted in to India I landed in New Delhi and had to find a place to live and didn't speak Hindi. I had never, you know 
had never worked abroad, had never lived abroad. So it was this very immersive transformational experience, I think, for me as an individual. And so my, my job <laughs> purportedly was to work on marketing and business development for this venture-backed startup. And I was reporting to the CEO, Sam Goldman, who is another um, GSB grad in class of 08. Um, and you know, I, I had never worked in marketing or business development before, so I was a complete newbie, but I felt as though I had some, you know, semblance of what to work on just from having, you know, worked for a number of years and gone to business school. Um, and I learned a ton, but it really was, you know, this one day where I was sitting in Sam's office and we were talking about our investors and he had broken his investors into two buckets. And one set of his investors, he kind of labeled his impact investors. And he said, these are, you know, they've been tremendous supports and they are fantastic at shining a light on the work that Delight's doing, marketing, doing videos, spreading our story through the world. And that helps, that helps our business, right? There is this other set of investors who were his local Indian VCs. And it was this group that was really focused on the business building. They were opening up their networks and providing um, introductions to potential customers helping Sam think through, hey, who should we be hiring? How do we build this team? So really the business, the rigor and discipline of business building. So I walked away from that thinking, wow. Impact, and impact investing, I think, as a term was coined about like three months later while I was still living in India. So this was you know a long time ago. Um, and I just walked away thinking, this is crazy. Like if we're going to do venture, like I had been trained to do prior to business school, it should be done with that same rigor, discipline and focus on business building, not just kind of the marketing wrapper around it, but the real fundamentals. And so I came back to the States um, with a couple of, you know, kind of things that were just buzzing around in my head. One was like rigor, discipline, impact. That's what I want to do. But this other, you know, thing that was just like bugging me in the back of my head was why is it that it's only these really big, incredibly well-resourced foundations, these sort of ivory tower institutions that we're talking about impact investing? Why was this not something that your average person or your average investing firm could participate in? So I also had this dual mission of how do we build and um, mature this space, but also democratize it? make it something that is part of mainstream for everybody. Definitely. It's so interesting to hear kind of like your initial thoughts just as the term impact investing was even just being coined and how over this whole time period that you've been working in this industry, building up your own venture oh. firm, how much impact investing has grown and developed. So we would love to hear what are your opinions on kind of the future significant trends or developments in the field of impact investing, specifically as a young person who's interested in kind of going into this field? Like what are some of the things that you would recommend that we kind of look into or the skills that we should build? Yeah. So impact investing has pretty much grown from like zero to $1.2 trillion since it started a few years ago. So that is just, you know, stratospheric growth. <laughs> um, that's like blitz scaling for, you know, an investment industry, which I get really excited about. Uh, and I think that speaks to a couple of things, right? So one, it speaks to, gosh, we have a lot of big problems to solve and the talk is, you know, the, the, the clock is ticking. Two, it's, these big problems oftentimes translate to really big market opportunities. Three, this is where I think Gen Z and millennials want to spend their time. If they're going to have a job, 
and they're going to spend a lot of hours working in that career in that or that profession. Um, what I'm seeing is more and more they want to be working on problems that matter to them. They don't just want to toil away for a paycheck. They actually want to be working on something that aligns with their own values and their own vision to where they and optimism for where they think the world can go. So when I look at the space and I see this, you know, mixture of ingredients, right? Huge market opportunities, um, great emerging technology and technologists that are interested in these issues, and then talent, business talent interested in these issues. Those are the ingredients I think that make for a very exciting um, result and market opportunity around impact investing. So kind of where it's where it's going. When I was in India, so this is like, you know, really dating myself here, but like 2009, 2010, when I was coming back, there was this whole discussion about impact investing as an asset class. Mm -hmm. This is an asset class like public equities or like venture capital or like real estate or real assets. And that just never made any sense to me. I was like, well, I'm, I'm seeing this with conservation forestry. I'm, yes, I'm seeing it in venture, but I'm also seeing it in um, impact credit and private credit. I'm also seeing potential to create impact beyond ESG in the public market. So it's always been this lens for me through which you can view an entire portfolio, through which you can really assess where does each dollar in your portfolio sit? And is it aligned with your values, kind of neutral? Or actually, is it working against the work you're trying to do in the world? So I think this idea that impact is a lens, not an asset class, not mm -hmm. a pilot, not a sliver that you pull out from your portfolio. I think that has really um, gained momentum. And I think that's where the field is really pushing today. But it's also mainstreaming. You know, I think that there is work going on now for startups that are serving Medicaid populations, startups that are serving women's health, you know, rewind five years ago, that may have fallen into an impact bucket. Today, it's just big market opportunities. And so I think that's, I think that's great. And I think increasingly integrating it, the impact mindset into mainstream investing is a great way for this firm to continue to grow and evolve. Yes, I love that last point, Heidi, because we've chatted about that previously, which is the idea that before many things were impact investing, like a ton of healthcare even, right? But now obviously, like, I mean, and we've known this for a while, but now really just have that mindset where healthcare market is huge, 20% of GDP approximately, right? And like many of those investments in healthcare, as you're mentioning, and those healthcare startups are impact investing. And that's awesome, right? Because hopefully then that end market is going to be benefited positively. So love to hear that. Chatting even more about impact here, you created Rethink Impact. We would absolutely love to hear how that came to be, what you guys focus on, and maybe a few of your favorite or most important recent investments. <laughs> absolutely. Well, it's hard to pick favorites. It's like, you know, all 40 of them are my children. But Your babies. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> but there are some exciting ones I can, I can chat about. So yes. Rethink Impact was actually underway for you know a handful of months before I met my now partner, Jenny Abramson. And so she and I really helped, you know, she she kind of got it off the ground and I joined her a few months in. So she's technically our founder, um, but we raised our first fund in 2016 and our second fund in 2020. Um, and we wanted to start off with a bang, right? So we had this, like, we wanted to make a big swing to close the gap for women in tech and VC from day one. So we started out with over a hundred million dollar fund one, which was a super exciting um, and inspiring for us. And I think our community members um, launch point. 
So what we do is we invest in early stage companies. So typically like C2, Series A, Series B. So companies that have, you know, half million to a million in revenue or even up to 10 or 20 that have typically a year or two of operating history. So it's not the brand new, you know, two gals in a PowerPoint in a garage. It's like a little bit of operating history. That's where we focus. Um, and we're looking for primarily female CEOs at this point. And we invest across four key themes. So digital health typically for the 99%, education technology, typically for the 99%, economic empowerment, which you can think of as like financial inclusion, FinTech for good. We think of it as anything that helps move people up the economic ladder and then climate. So oftentimes, and sometimes it's our most exciting investments are ticking more than one of those boxes. Mm-hmm. So those are the types of companies we get super excited about. So we've made about 40 different investments since we've been around, you know, for seven, eight years. Um, it's a really incredible portfolio that we're so excited about. You can go see all of our companies on our website and kind of hear their stories. Um, I think what's been really interesting is that, you know, we've had this thesis that women build diverse teams around them. So we recently have done, you know, a look at this in our active portfolio, 100% of our CEOs are women. And this is notable because women only get 2% of all venture dollars that flow through the entire market. And that's got to change if you want to have any shot at solving the problems facing us as a society and a world. Um, 43% of our CEOs are non-white. But then these female leaders have also gone on to build incredibly diverse teams. So of the C-suites around them, over half are women and over a third are people of color. So this idea that women build diverse teams that can then go on to to build category-defining companies, we think we're seeing this happen in real time. So a couple of examples. Um, There's a company called Spring Health, which works on mental health. It was founded by three immigrant founders when they were in their early 20s, and they're bringing um, precision mental health to the 99% workforce. So it's now available to over 6 million employees and their families across the nation, plus global reach. So we invested in that company in 2018. I joined, I was their first board member. Um, They have since gone on to become a double unicorn. So their CEO, April Coe, is the youngest woman ever to lead a unicorn company. Incredible. Um, So just an amazing, amazing story um, that we love. Um, Again, there's a company called um, Regrow Ag, which is helping really big global food companies like General Mills introduce and support regenerative agriculture in their supply chain. So actually helping the farmers transition to regenerative agriculture. And they're using soil carbon models combined with satellite monitoring to do all the measurement, reporting, and verification that we need to make sure that that these programs are actually working to reduce the carbon footprint of our massive global food system, which is just so critical. And then the last one I'll talk about is Care Academy. So you may or may not know that you're, you know, in a few years, maybe 10, maybe more, both of you are going to be probably part of what's called the sandwich generation, or you might be, if you choose to have kids where you've got caretaking responsibilities below you, you've got caretaking responsibilities in your family. Even if you don't have your own kids, you're probably going to be, have, you're probably going to have some caretaking responsibilities in your life because you're probably part of a family or a close friend group. And that's hard. When you're working full time and you've got big plans for yourself and your career, that can be really, really tough, right? And we have an enormous shortage of caregivers. 
So there's a big push now to age in place. I think particularly with COVID, I think we're seeing kind of the, the underbelly of um, assisted living facilities and nursing homes and people now really want to age in place, but we just don't have the caregiver workforce to make that happen. I think we're at least a million people short. Wow. And our uh, market of caregivers is predominantly women. I think at least a third live in poverty the vast majority are women of color or immigrants. So this is not a great, this is, you know, again, this example of an essential workforce that's never been more essential that we are not embracing and treating right. So Helen Adiosian uh, was at Harvard and she was getting her master's degree in education. Her mom came here, her parents came here from Nigeria and they supported themselves or her mom supported herself as a home-based caregiver. And so Helen, while she was going through school, also worked as a home-based caregiver and realize that this workforce needs more training, more education, and more upskilling to improve the quality of healthcare. But also if they can get that training, they can command a higher wage and they can yeah. help move themselves up the economic ladder. So she started a company to do just that and an online education company to do that, just that. And I think today she has helped train more than 600,000 caregivers, which is extraordinary. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. All the work that you have been doing and sharing with us, all the startups, it just makes us so excited. We're just in our chairs, just like, tell us more. Literally, we can't even <laughs> respond. Heidi, you are truly the coolest in the four buckets that Rethink Impact invests in. So timely, so impactful. And also, as you said, huge, big business too, right? So it's just like literally like the perfect impact trio, which you've read about too, and obviously more in your case. And then also the company examples, just absolutely insane. So, so we talked a lot about kind of how, you know, the impact investing field is just really growing and there are a lot of opportunities to kind of make an impact. We would love to hear your views on the challenges that you might have faced. And maybe as students are thinking about going into this field, you know, there's always pros and cons. And specifically as someone who has like founded a venture firm, um, are, are there any things that were big learning lessons for you? So many challenges. Yeah, <laughs> not all roses. <laughs> I mean, I think what's so when when I started out and I tried to describe to people the work I wanted to do in the world, they right. looked at me like I had you know four heads. Right. So there was like there was like nothing. There was no light bulbs going off. There was just like people would just glass over and just thought I was crazy. I literally had no idea what I was talking about. Mm -hmm. So luckily, I don't think we're there you know, anymore. Mm -hmm. That being said, um, we have to figure out if we really want to solve the UN SDGs, right? It's going to require like $90 trillion. So Hank Paulson wrote about this in the New York Times in 2016. And with the passage of time and limited progress, I mean, we need to be moving trillions of dollars every year into impactful, more sustainable, more socially responsible um, investments. Our entire industry is only one trillion. So we are way off the mark and the clock yes. is ticking, particularly around climate, racial and gender equity. Like these problems are just huge and they need to be solved if we want you know, to have a world that we all enjoy living in. So I think one big challenge is that the investment community has been very successful doing things in a certain way. Mm -hmm. 
And it's really hard to teach old dogs new tricks. Like that adage is just like very appropriate. And so that's part of why I teach. Like, I think what it's really going to take is this, is a generational transfer of who is doing investing work and allocation of work in the market, whether it's investment bankers or venture capitalists or lenders or what operators and CEOs, what have you, we need this generational transition to come to the fore for this to really, I think, accelerate. So that's hard because many of us know that like this works, you can do this as a fiduciary, you can build massive companies with impact and culture at the core led by diverse teams. Yet, you know, 2% of dollars to women persists. Black women, I mean, 0.13% dollars going to black women. And our perspective is that these founders live and breathe these problems. Mm -hmm. They may know because of their lived experience may know better than anyone how to solve them and how to build the teams that can build the companies to actually tackle these things at, at scale. And they're not getting the resources and capital that they need to launch. Right. Yeah. So like, even though we know it works, even though there's been tons of data that these types of teams and these types of founders are an incredible bet. And when you ignore them, you're leaving money on the table. Mm -hmm. It's still, it's just slow. Yes. So for me, that's why I love the work that you two are doing. It's why I love the chance to come and talk to anyone that's going to listen about um, these stories need to get out there of these incredible companies, because these are the places where, you know, folks like you should want to go work or want to go start. And so I just think the pace of change isn't where we need it to be, but knowing that we're working on it and it's directionally positive, I find like really inspiring and energizing. Super inspiring and energizing. We a hundred percent echo that so much fun so far with this conversation, Heidi, and super informative. We are going to shift gears to a topic two, which of course builds on impact investing. We would love to hear about the course that you co-created and still teach at on impact investing at the Stanford GSB. Could you tell us more about the course? Yes. Um, so yeah, so teaching is my side hustle, but it's super fun and I absolutely love it. And it is never something that I ever imagined that I would be doing. So it's one of those things that like, right place, right time, right friends <laughs> landed in my lap. And it's been, you know, an ungodly amount of work <laughs> and it's hard and teaching is really scary. <laughs> I have so much more compassion now for the professors that I had at Princeton and for the professors I had at Stanford and for the teachers of my kiddos. Um, it's hard and it's scary, but it's also like, it's just so fun. And I think it's, it's really important. So anyway, that's my soapbox on teaching. Um, our, our course is called Investing for Good. And we come at this from the perspective of an institutional investor. So that means someone that has hundreds of millions of dollars at their disposal, which is like, okay, on the one hand, sounds like a lot. On the other hand, there are thousands and thousands and thousands of them out there. And they're being told that you can't invest that money for good and also hit your return targets. Mm -hmm. So what I'm trying to do is educate a new generation of people to, who know actually how to make that possible. Love it. 
And so what we do is take the class through a couple of proprietary frameworks that my co-teacher, Charles Ewell, and I developed um, with our team when we were working at New Island Capital about how to do this work. How do you actually translate an amorphous set of values and impact ideals into an actionable investment plan that you then can use to go find investments that match up, that will allow you to hit your impact alignment goals and also hit your financial return targets that you have as a fiduciary where you, you, know, you legally have to hit your financial return targets or you're going to get fired. So like, how do you do both? Like, how do you move forward? And so we go through kind of an impact definition process. We talk about different ways to think about how impact can be created. We go through different ways how to assess impact risk through a diligence process. And then we explore different impact investing opportunities across multiple themes. So we look at agriculture, healthcare, education. These themes are gonna sound familiar to you by this point. <laughs> and then we also look at different asset classes. So venture plays a small part because venture is usually, venture capital, private equity is usually only, is usually only about 20% of a portfolio, sometimes 30%. So what do you do with the other 80 to 70, you know, 70 to 80%, you just give up? No, there's actually a lot out there. So we look at things like what's possible in the public equity markets? What's possible with public debt? What's possible with real asset? What's possible with impact credit? And how do you assess a company? And then how do you actually assess a fund? And what are those different, like if you're going to ask, you know, 100 questions, how do those, what questions overlap and which are different and how to think about both? So we really approach this as um, from institutional perspective, building an endowment style portfolio. So impact as a lens across every type of deal under the sun, multi-asset class, multi-theme. And we have students form teams, they're writing up investment memos on hypothetical investment opportunities, they're comparing and contrasting, they're debating in class, and we're building a portfolio as we go through the course, which is really fun. That's awesome to hear. I really love to hear about this like institutional approach because I feel like even with some other guests when we're talking about impact investing, it's like impact investing is like a small side part of the portfolio, but instead exactly. approach is like, everything should have kind of like that impact focus or at least that awareness which is really great to hear and earlier in our conversation you talked about how you had a lot of students and it's really interesting to see how they've gone through different paths can you please kind of talk a little bit more about what these different paths are i can assume some of our listeners may be thinking like impact investing sounds really cool um how can i kind of take this knowledge if i decide to go down this path or what are some other paths that can also kind of encompass the same kind of goals and skills Sure. So one of the students I had uh, my first year of class when I was teaching, so back in like 2016, um, her summer internship was, was helping to design an impact investing strategy for Salesforce, oh. Salesforce Ventures. That project has turned into a fund that has gone on to make 50 to 100 investments. Like that's really cool. Yeah. <laughs> to her, love it. And we've actually done a bunch of deals together. So she did that as her summer internship project when she was an MBA. Then she went to work at McKinsey, and one of her big projects um, was helping a major philanthropist think about if I were going to put a billion dollars towards gender equity, how should I do it? So this big pie in the sky question. So she worked on that. That investor has since gone on to implement a lot of that strategy uh, and make investments in, you know, 
10 or 20 female-led funds. They're making investments wow. in the care economy. They're making investment in women's health. So like, that's exciting. So she spent a few years at McKinsey and now she left McKinsey and has joined another venture firm and has made partner. So now she is looking at impactful deals and can write $20 million checks as a partner and sit on boards. So that's what's possible. I think, you know, six or seven years post business school, but she, and I think what's so cool, she's a woman of color. She was not born in the United States. And so in class, we talk a lot about the coolest thing about impact investing is that it needs to be and is a field that is being created by young, diverse voices. And so I think that this story of this woman named Lucy um, is a great, I think, snapshot of what I mean by that. What's so cool is that you can actually make your mark in where this field will go as a young person who's earlier in their career. And that's hard to say that about a lot of big industries where you're talking about, you know, hundreds of billions of dollars. Others have gone on to work uh, at Stripe Climate, Others have gone on to be traditional VCs, but they have this like impact mindset that we were just talking about a mutual friend of ours who's working at a conventional VC, but he's gotten training in impact investing and so knows how to, to think about deals like that. Um, others have gone on to work in venture philanthropy. Others have gone on to um, become CEOs mm. of impact companies and they have an understanding, hey, what do I need to do to raise money from an impact investor? Because I've learned about how they think about the world from this mm -hmm. class. So we, I've seen them go on to do all sorts of different things. And um, I find that really inspiring. It's incredible. Thank you for those examples, Heidi. We'd also love for you to share your knowledge. We know you've shared it with us previously. And also just for all of our listeners, in terms of when many of our listeners who are like us, who are current university students or in their 20s, young professionals or any age, really, when and why do you think individuals in the workplace should start considering business school and how to go about that and make the most of their time? Yeah. So obviously, I went to business school and I've been teaching there for a long time, so I'm incredibly biased. <laughs> um, but it was also this completely transformational experience for me. And it's not just about the classes that you take when you're there for those two years, or if you go through an executive MBA program and you're there for a year, it's all the doors that open to you once you have that, hey, I'm a student at XYZ Business School and I'm working on a project looking at XYZ topic. Everybody wants to help you, all the doors open. So you're able to work on research projects, pro bono consulting, clubs, competitions, all of these things that exist outside and are aligned with classwork that really allows you to explore. Like, what are your unique talents? What is the work I wanna do in the world? What are the problems that drive me crazy? Who do I love working alongside? Who like, really pushes me? What does it mean to be on a diverse team of people who have different backgrounds and different expertise? So it's this immersive experience that I think there's this like, there's nothing like it. So I all, you know, this is like a very obvious point, but you can go to business school once. So when you go matters. Yes. And so what my experience has been, and it's not true for everybody, is I think on the whole, those who take four to five years to try on a couple different roles in the working world get a ton out of business school. It might be military service. It might be Teach for America and teaching. 
It might be working at a nonprofit or in government, right? It might be banking and consulting. It might be venture capital. But having, you know, ideally two different types of working experience gives you a sense of like, hey, I can imagine where I might want to go. And then business school can be a great launch pad to achieve that next step, I think, in your career aspirations. That's awesome. The, um, talking more about career aspirations for students who may be interested in kind of following a path like yours. And we've talked about how the path has been very windy, but kind of ending up, you know, working in like venture. Windy but not random. Yeah, windy but not random. <laughs> That's the key. Um, working in venture and kind of having that impact focus. Would you have any advice towards how they may get to that point? Because obviously there are also a lot of people that you've worked with that have, you know, had also many windy, but not random paths. Um, and so, yeah, what advice would you have for these students? Yeah. So um, I think what has helped me, and this may not be great advice for everyone, but what has helped me is that I have always, I think I've never had a 10 year plan. I've never, I just certainly did not graduate from Princeton thinking I'm going to be an impact VC and I'm going to teach at a business school. Like that was just like, absolutely like not on the radar. And I'm just not a 10 year plan type of person. So I do think in like two year increments and I make decisions that, um, where I'm optimizing for two things, um, learning and alignment mm -hmm. and alignment with my North star, with my values, with just me as a human and then learning. I have never now. I have a lot of privilege. I'm white. I come from a middle-class background. I went to Princeton. So, you know, I'm starting life on like well beyond third base. So this is not applicable for the whole world, but I never optimized, but I always had to work. I always had to work. Um, so I never optimized for title compensation or prestige. Mm. And there's a lot of temptation to do that because when you come out of a place like Princeton or Stanford, there's a lot of opportunities. Like once you graduate from Princeton, a lot of privilege comes with that, no matter how you started and what you did to get there. So there's going to be a lot of opportunities that are thrown your way. What's always worked for me is really optimizing for learning and alignment. Mm -hmm. um, I tried to remove like, what can I do or what should I do and replaced it with like, what do I want? Like what's going to give me that fire every day. And sometimes that fire looks different. So for me, it was like, go to banking, right? Mm -hmm. Learn those skills, learn how to model, learn about capital markets. I did not like the culture, but I thought the work was amazing. It's mm, awesome. So I optimized for like that learning, knowing I just have to stick it out for two or three years and I'm going to use that as a building block to go do something else. And so I think what's increasingly important now is this concept of like both and. So you don't have to leave school and immediately go into impact investing, but like always think about your resume as having multiple legs, right? There are some like core functional skills that you should be developing, right? Then there is um, really demonstrating that impact is not this like fleeting idea. This is something I'm committed to as evidenced by work experience or, you know, service projects or volunteering, or mentoring, or immersive projects that you've done, or internships, or something, but it has to be something. Because I think the bar has been raised for people who have this, it's like, yeah, both and. <laughs> I have a proven commitment to impact, and a proven um, commitment to, the, to learning the basics of investing or business. So think, but you know, your life is a portfolio. It's never going to be just one page. It's a, it's a variety of images and experiences that you build over time. But I think 
thinking about how to get um, experiences on both sides to me was helpful. And certainly as a hiring manager at New, at New Island and at Rethink, that's what we're looking for is commitment to the both and. Love that, Heidi. I think we really like the two or three or, excuse me, more legged analogy, right? Because I think many individuals think that if they don't start in an impact specific role or impact outlined role right after college, they can't enter it later. However, your path, clearly, you went to a traditional industry like investment banking, which was your path, and then knew what you wanted out of that, right? Like you enjoyed the work, you really probably like dived into it versus sat there and like, you know, complained about the culture, even though obviously that wasn't the best. And you gained all of those really important financial skills that now lets you be a leading investor and have started your own impact firm, right? So like, that's one awesome path that people can take it. And obviously, like, there's many as well. So love bringing up that point here. Heidi, we have had so much fun today. We are coming to the conclusion of the podcast. We'd love to ask one more question, which is, do you have one, two, or more if you have them, of course, big takeaways that you would love to to leave our listeners with regarding integrating impact into your career? Yeah, number one, it can be done. Two, um, it can be really paralyzing to be asked in your 20s, um, what do you want to do? That's a really, really scary big question. And so I would say if you get that question in your own head, flip it and think about like, what are the things in this world that drive me crazy? And like write down that list. What are the things that give me energy? What are the times in my life where I have felt like I'm in flow? Maybe Mm -hmm. it's on the sports field. Maybe it's in your carol in the library. Maybe it's in a coffee shop working. Maybe it's in a meeting. So think about problems that drive you crazy. What gives you energy when you've been in flow? And then look for opportunities that hit one, two, or three of those buckets. And that will be what you want to do. Because I think just like the the one want, the one dream is so impossible to pin down. And also, if you pin it down too early, you're not leaving yourself open to these winding paths that may come your way. Mm-hmm. But if you are energized and learning, you'll be amazed at the doors that can open to you. Thank you so much, Heidi. It's been so amazing to talk to you today. We've loved our conversation and I'm sure our listeners will too. So thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having me.